Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, everybody. So it's in the podcast of the Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast presented. By Betfred Sportsbook, it is Friday, March 10th, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is enjoying a wild championship week so far. By the way, you know it's champ week when I'm wearing the old school UConn shirt here for today's pod. If you're watching on YouTube, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you probably have no idea, but that's neither here nor there. We got a loaded Friday show. Here is what you need to know. I don't even know how we're going to get it all into an hour. Bottom line, this is what's up. We're going to start coaching carousel. The job that we thought would never open has opened. Syracuse, Jim Beheim is out. Adrian Autry is in. We'll talk about it all. Did Jim Beheim retire? Was he fired? We're going to discuss it all. Speaking of iconic coaching jobs, Patrick Ewing has been let go at Georgetown. What is next for them? And then, oh, by the way, speaking of the Big East, speaking of coaching openings, little birdie. Two of them, as a matter of fact, have gotten in my ear, and I am starting to believe that what we've discussed on this show, Rick Patino to St. John's could be a thing. I'll tell you what I know and what the next steps are. From there, we'll take a quick break. We will talk about the Wednesday and Thursday college hoop slates, what happened, who's in, who's out, what's going on, what it all means. Take a quick break. And then how about this? A return guest, so we don't have very many guests on the show, but John Jastrzemski from The Ringer. He's a New York guy. He hosts the New York, New York podcast on The Ringer Spotify network. And oh, by the way, he is also a Q's guy. So he's going to come talk Bayheim. He's going to come talk Rick Pitino, St. John's. Maybe even a little Aaron Rodgers at the end. JJ, John Jastrzemski to end the show. Before we get started, a couple quick announcements. The first one, make sure you want to support Aaron Torres Media go to the Aaron Torres online merchandise page. AaronTorresOnline.com slash merchandise. Get all your March stuff. Go ahead and grab your Marches for Day drinking t-shirt, your Mora Hurley t-shirt if you're a UConn fan, your Big Pig Invasion shirt if you're an Arkansas fan, your Kentucky Revenge Tour shirt if you're a Kentucky fan. We got so much good stuff there. Basketball school shirt for Alabama fans. A lot of good stuff there. Make sure to check it out. AaronTorresOnline.com slash merchandise. And then, oh, by the way, we made a major announcement on Wednesday's show that I want to make sure 
if you missed it, that you're paying attention to, that announcement is this. It's March, and when you think March, you think one thing, you think brackets. Well, for the third straight March, BracketFanatics.com is here to present our Aaron Torres pod bracket challenge. Third straight year, we worked with them for an NFL Pick'em Challenge this fall. They're back for March Madness. And to enter the Aaron Torres pod Pick'em challenge, uh, 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 bracket challenge, I should say, this is all you got to do. It's so simple. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. The Bracket is named Aaron, A-A-R-O-N. Also, you can see a tab with my logo on it. Click that tab. It'll take you to the landing page. You can sign up there or join Bracket, Bracket named Aaron. And I should mention, if you entered last year, you're already in. All you got to do is just confirm that you want to be in. You sign up. And then when the Bracket comes out on Sunday, all you got to do is go in there and make your picks. It's that easy. Bracketfanatics.com. Join Bracket. Bracket named Aaron, A-A-R-O-N. And by now, some of you are probably wondering, what do I get if I enter Taurus? Well, we have a $1,000 prize pool given out to the top five winners. So $1,000 total. Five of you will win cash. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. Bracket named Aaron, A-A-R-O-N. And oh, by the way, I should mention one more thing about Bracket Fanatics. One of the things that I love about working with them is if you want to run your own bracket. Now, join BracketFanatics.com, bracket named Aaron. But if you want to run your own bracket, you can do it at BracketFanatics.com. You can run your own bracket for free or, and this is the cool part about Bracket Fanatics, if you have a pay pool, right? A pool where people are paying $5, $10, whatever it is to enter. Well, guess what? BracketFanatics.com can collect all of your money on the website and then distribute it to winners. So you don't have to chase people down. You don't have to ask them for money. You don't have to make it weird. You don't have to try to find Doris in accounting who's not giving you her five bucks to enter the pool. All you got to do, go to BracketFanatics.com and create your own bracket. But again, BracketFanatics.com, if you want to join mine, bracket named Aaron, click the tab with my logo or just join bracket named Aaron, A-A-R-O-N. And oh, by the way, thousand dollars in price with that said though you know what we've been waiting for let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day for the first time since the mid 1970s someone other than Jim Beheim is the head coach of Syracuse basketball that is right when we woke up on Wednesday Jim Beheim was your Syracuse basketball coach and when we went to bed Thursday night Jim Beheim was not. It was a strange day. It was a weird day. You know, I was watching the game. I'm blessed to be able to watch all these games from from home. And even during the game, it kind of felt like there was something a little bit off. Like Jim Beheim was coaching a little bit more aggressively than I remember him coaching over the last couple of years. And so the game ends. Syracuse essentially loses on the buzzer. And I think we start to get get an idea why. For those of you who missed it, I can't imagine that anybody listening to this podcast did. But essentially, after the game, Jim Beheim had one of the strangest press conferences ever. So let's set it up. Let's, you know, I'm kind of already going in a lot of different directions. But bottom line, Syracuse loses in the ACC tournament. Okay. Jim Beheim, after the game, goes to the podium. And as I just said, he gives one of the strangest press conferences that I have ever seen. Essentially, he is asked by a reporter. Do you plan on retiring? Now, remember, it was just about two months ago that Jim Beheim did an interview with Pete Thamel. He said, it will be my decision. As of right now, I have no plans to retire. 
Well, he goes to the podium. He's asked about retiring. And first he said, well, I actually sort of gave a retirement speech on Saturday, but none of you were paying attention to the credit of the reporter that was asking the questions. She then followed up. She said, so are you retiring? He said, that's not what I said. Then she says, does that mean you're leaving Syracuse? And do you want to retire? And Jim Beheim says, that is not up to me. You're asking the wrong person. So if you saw Jim Beheim's initial Wednesday press conference, something became very clear and very obvious right away. It appears as though it appeared as though this was the old-fashioned standoff at the OK Corral. Okay, Jim Beheim was ba- basically, if you watch the press conference, the only takeaway you could have was this: was that Jim Beheim at that point probably did not know his future, and basically what he was telling the public was this. I don't know if I am going to be back as head coach at Syracuse next year, but if I'm not back, it is not my choice. I do not have a say in this matter. So that press conference ends. And then about two hours later, we get a very strange press release that essentially announces Jim Beheim's retirement. It's from Syracuse. It basically says we want, we want to thank coach Beheim for 47 years as the head coach of the basketball program at this university. Except if you paid close attention to that press release, there were two things that really kind of sort of stood out about it. The first was that nowhere in the press release was the word retired used. Nowhere did it say Jim Beheim is retiring after 47 years as an incredible ambassador to Syracuse University. The word retire was never used in the statement. Oh, by the way, on top of that, you know what else was not was missing from that press release? A quote from Jim Beheim. So imagine if a year ago, Coach K, we find out that he's leaving and we don't get a statement from Coach K. Or Roy Williams is leaving North Carolina and we don't get a statement from Roy Williams. Or Tom Izzo in two years or five years or ten years. Or John Calipari or whomever. Imagine that. Only that was exactly what we got from Syracuse. And so if you put together the press conference that he had after the Wake Forest loss, With the statement, I've just got one thing to say. We can call it a retirement. We can call it a stepping down. We can call it whatever. It's hard not to put the puzzle pieces together and surmise one simple thing. Jim Beheim did not retire on Wednesday. Jim Beheim did not step down on Wednesday. Jim Beheim was essentially being fired without using the word fired on Wednesday. And so it is a stunning end to a stunning career. And it was interesting. I was hosting Fox Sports Radio on when, on Thursday. My partner, Dan Beyer, brought this up. I think you can argue that outside of probably Joe Paterno, who obviously there were legal issues involving Jerry Sandusky. We don't need to get into that. But for a legendary coach, I don't really remember a messier step down, retirement, blah, 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 this and that. You can put a pig, you know, well, what's the old saying? You can put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. Well, you can pretend this is a retirement, a step down or whatever. Jim Beheim got fired on Wednesday after 47 years as head coach. So the question now becomes, okay, Torres. So, so that's what happened. So what, what do we make of all this news? I've got a couple thoughts on the first and most obvious one is I can't believe Syracuse actually did it. I can't believe that Syracuse did it because regardless of how the last couple years went, regardless of the fact that it was probably time, regardless of the fact that it's just probably just time. Like I said, I just can't believe that Syracuse had the guts to do it. Jim Beheim, 
on Wednesday at that press conference, he essentially pushed all of his chips in the middle, was was the poker player, and, and he basically called the, 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 the school's bluff. He basically said, look, if I'm not here, it's not my choice. You're asking the wrong person. And he basically dared the school to fire him. And so whether it happened, how it happened, I think my number one takeaway is I just can't believe that Syracuse made the decision to move on from this guy. Now, with that said, what do I always say on this show? Two things can be true. And in this case, I think there's two very obvious things that are true. I think it's very shocking that it happened this way. And I know there's people that have been around Syracuse. Oh, this was the only way that Jim Beheim would go out. I don't know. But while it was shocking, I'll also add, it does feel like it was time. And, and it's interesting because I think on this show, I have kind of more aggressively gone after Jim Beheim than probably just about anybody else in the mat, the national media that I know of. This has been a topic constantly on this show for the last two, three, four years of just because you were at one point a legend, it doesn't mean you get to coach in perpetuity. You're not a king in England. You're not a Supreme Court justice. This isn't a lifetime appointment. And I've really felt for the last four or five years, I don't even know if Jim Beheim really loves doing this anymore. I just think he's 78 years old and he wants something to do. And the numbers back up that this program has been going in the right in the wrong direction for a long time. And this was probably the right move. I've shared this stat before, but I'll, I'll share it again. Uh, Syracuse joined the ACC in 2014. Okay. 2013, 2014 was their first season in the ACC. First year went pretty good since the 2014, 2015 season. Okay. 2014, 2015 was eight years ago. Syracuse has had at least 14 losses in every single one of those seasons since 2014, 2015 except for the COVID year of 2020, 2021, when they only played 28 games. So in full seasons since 2015, they have not finished better than 14 losses. And oh, by the way, they have finished better than sixth in the, the ACC just once. One time in nine years, they have finished better than sixth. And so regardless of how great he once was, regardless of how many wins he had, there is no argument that this program was going in the wrong direction and is in the wrong direction and that I don't think any other coach in America would have been given the latitude and the benefit of the doubt that he has. Now, I understand he made a couple deep tournament runs, all that. It doesn't change the fact that for most of the last decade, Syracuse has essentially been on the bubble. What I think is interesting to me and what I'm going to talk about with John Dostremski next is the timing of it all. Because when you think about the timing of this, if you go back to that interview that he did with Pete Thamel back in early to mid-January, something interesting about that statement was this. He said to Pete Thamel, this is my decision. I'll step down when I want to step down, and it, I feel good, and I plan on keeping to go. That was the same interview, of course, where he accused Wake Forest of buying its whole team and Pitt of buying its whole team. And so I bring it up because to me, I do feel like that was a turning point in everything. One, he thumbed his nose at the administration. He said, I'm making the decision when I'm ready. Two, you dragged a bunch of other schools into this, Wake Forest and Pitt and Miami and whoever else. And so it's one thing if you do stuff like that when you're winning. Nick Saban, in theory, could chirp at his AD if he wants because he's Nick freaking Saban. Kirby Smart, the same, whoever, uh, 
you know, whatever. I can't think of a basketball coach off the top of my head. But for a losing coach to chirp at his AD, my decision, and then embarrass the university to the point that you have to issue an apology because you just blatantly made something up about Wake Forest, about Pitt, that was a bad look. And that, to me, is when the tide started to turn. Because it's one thing if you're winning and you're saying stuff that embarrasses the program. But it's another when you're not winning, when you're embarrassing, and when you're basically publicly calling out your administration. And so it felt like this was kind of the year where everything kind of flipped. I said it at the time when he made that statement. To me, it does feel like most Syracuse fans were willing to give Jim Beheim the benefit of the doubt because of this. They were willing to give Jim Beheim the benefit of the doubt because up until this past year, one, I think they had won enough, but two, his sons were on the team up until last season. And so why I bring it up is because it felt like, okay, we're not winning, but every once in a while we make the tournament. And oh, by the way, his kids are on the team. We're not going to force him out when the kids are here. Once the kids graduate, he's not going to want to do this anymore. He's 78. He'll be ready to move on. He'll be ready to spend time with his kids. Well, that didn't happen. Both of his kids left last year. He comes back this year and he has another abysmal season, 17 and 15 this year after a 16 and 17 year. And that's why I think this happened. And so it's interesting timing. It's certainly interesting combatively. I'm sure at some point Jim Beheim is going to do an interview with somebody. But again, it does feel like it's time. And so looking ahead, all I can say about this is I am so intrigued to see what the Syracuse basketball program becomes post Jim Beheim. Now, I'm sad to see him go, which we'll get into in a second. But as I've said many times, this, in my opinion, has been maybe the most underachieving basketball program in college basketball over the last decade. I know many of you are young, 20, 25, 23, 19, 17, whatever age you are. But I am here to tell you, it wasn't that long ago that Syracuse was a perennial power. I looked it up, 2012, not that long ago, when Anthony Davis played at Kentucky, Syracuse was top five for most of that season. They got a number one seed that year. They got a number one seed in the 2009 NCAA tournament. And so, or 2010 NCAA tournament, excuse me. So we're talking about two number one seeds in the last 15 years, last 13 years, but it fell off a cliff quick. And I'm just curious to see what Adrian Autry can do. Now I'll be blunt. I don't know much about this guy. I know he played there. I know he's been there for a while, but this feels like a program that I believe can take a a step up in terms of stature. I've said it many times. I hear people say all the time, well, how can you know what Syracuse is going to be post-coach Behan? We don't know. But I don't think Jim Beheim has been the one elevating this program. I think he's been dragging it down. And now I want to see what happens next. Because you look at the ACC affiliation. You look at a basketball uh, school first. And you look at the fact, and I've said this many times, Syracuse has one of the most unique recruiting advantages in the country. That Carrier Dome, if you can get kids up to campus for a game day experience in a loaded, packed Carrier Dome, there is nothing like it. Now, you haven't been getting the recruits, I think, because of the coach, the style of play. High school players don't want to play 2-3 zone. They just don't. It's not as effective as it once was. It's hard to recruit as a 78-year-old because everybody is negative recruiting against you. And so now, new head coach, going to be there a while. ACC, if he can get kids to the Dome, I believe this is a program that every year should be in the top 15 to 25 minimum, especially in this era in the ACC where everybody is kind of a mess. Finally, my last thought, let me say this. 
I've been very critical of Jim Beheim the last, whatever, three, four, five years. I am still sad to see him go. And because he's gone, I don't want it to be lost that at one point in his life, he was a great college basketball coach. Okay. And JJ and I, John Jastrzemski and I will talk about this in a minute, but we can criticize the last five, six, seven years. But when he had it rolling, that program was elite. You weren't walking into the carrier dome and getting a win during his prime. You simply were not. And so because of it, I don't want it to be lost. The fact that this guy won a thousand career regular season games, by the way, he technically won like 1100, a thousand of them got vacated. I don't want to take away from the fact that he made five final fours, that he won a national championship, that he won 10 Big East regular season titles, that the Big East as we know it doesn't exist without Jim Beheim. I don't want it to be lost that he was a great coach, is a great coach, but it also feels like it was time. So to Jim Beheim, I know you don't listen to the Eratoras pod. I've been critical of you, but I'm not going to take away from the fact that you were a legend. As I said, 10 Big East regular season titles, five Big East tournament titles, five Final Fours, a national championship, and the guy is an icon. I hope he enjoys retirement. I hope he does well. I hope he golfs. I hope he spends time with his family. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, what a wild finish to his career. All right, so what I want to do, I do want to take a quick break. And when I come back, I want to talk a little coaching carousel because I have heard some very interesting things about Rick Pitino and St. John's. We're going to discuss that. Then we'll talk about Georgetown and Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing's out. Who's next to Georgetown? Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos. And what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay, I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you. Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a New Year's Eve into New Year's Day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. Obviously, beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates. Colorado Rockies, first pitch at those games. Betfred does more for their customers than anybody, and here is what they are doing. For listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast, okay, so what you got to do, bet 50 on any game and new users, how about this, get up to $1,000 in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. Bet 50 on any game, you get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a Betfred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game. 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200, plus $111 for signing up for Betfred today. You're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torres sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I uh, do want to get to some other college basketball coaching carousel news. And so we just talked Jim Beheim, And in a minute, we'll talk about Patrick Ewing uh, and Georgetown. Those two sides parted ways on Wednesday, on Thursday, right after the Big East tournament semifinals, UConn beats Providence. But before we get there, I do have kind of an interesting update and an interesting development from a story that I think I have been on more than anybody else. And so let me, for people who are new to this show or are just picking up this show because of some things that I might have said or tweeted over the last couple of days, let me give you a little bit of a background, okay? So about five or six weeks ago, I was watching St. John's. They were playing a home game against Marquette. Ironically, Marquette was the team they lost to in the Big East tournament on Thursday, but this was back in early January. St. John's did what they very much often have done under Mike Anderson. They built a big lead, then they fell apart, and they ended up losing. And I don't know where, I don't know what made compel me to tweet this, but I basically tweeted something to the effect of St. John's, Mike Anderson is not the answer. There is a Hall of Fame coach in your city named Rick Patino. Go get him. He's in New York. He's coaching at Iona. He's still coaching at an elite level. And now that he has been cleared by St. John's, uh, by, by the NCAA, there is no reason that St. John shouldn't go get him. So I sent out this tweet, and this happens sometimes when you're just in the media. You you say something, you don't realize the ramifications that it's going to have. Well, the second that I sent it out, I got flooded with retweets, comments, posts, DMs, whatever, on Rick Pitino to St. John's. Bunch of St. John's fans, what do you know? Do you think this can happen? Blah, 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 this and that. And so I bring it up because this has kind of been a, a, a pseudo topic on this show for about five, six, seven weeks. I have no affiliation to St. John's. I'm a UConn alum, but I am also a college basketball fan that wants all as many good programs to be as great as they possibly can. And so I've been on this bandwagon. I've been pushing it, but I'll also be blunt from everything that I've heard. And I've, I, I think I have pretty good sources on this. I mean, I don't just because I don't break stories doesn't mean that I don't know. I'm not talking to people all the time. And the sources that I've had on this have basically said, look, Torres, you can yell and scream and whoever else St. John's can St. John's fans can yell and scream. Patino to St. John's just it, it's not happening. What I've been told by multiple people up until a few days ago was that the powers that be at the school would never sign off on it. And is the powers that be. It's not just the school president, the AD, the board of trustees. There would not be enough of a consensus to bring in Rick Patino. And so why do I bring it up? It's because I've just kind of given up on the idea. Now, we were selling our We Want Rick t-shirts. Shout out to the St. John's fans that bought them. AaronTorresOnline.com slash merchandise. But we were selling them, but I was told it's not going to happen. 
Well, why do I bring it up? It's because Wednesday, the opening day of the Big East tournament, I had a couple very interesting conversations with some people in college basketball. About middle of the day, I get a text from a great source who has been right on everything that he has ever told me in the college basketball world. He said, Torres, I think you're going to get your wish at St. John's. And I said, what are you talking about? And so we, we got on the phone and we talked and we this and we that. And he said, I am hearing Rick Pitino is going to go to St. John's. It's going to happen. The powers that be have decided that they are going to make this move. And so I immediately texted somebody else who is very much in the know at St. John's. And that guy told me, I don't know where you got this from, but it ain't going to happen. So I have one source that I really trust that says, okay, this is going to happen. And then I have another source that I trust that says there's 0% chance this is going to happen. I bring it up because probably about eight, nine o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday, I get a second text from the same source that told me like six hours earlier, there's 0% chance this is going to happen. That source now says, Aaron, I don't know who your first source is, but I think this thing might be happening. I think we might be going to get Rick Potato. And so I bring it up because as of literally 36 hours ago, 72 hours ago, I did not think it was going to happen. But now I think it's going to. And so the question is, what has changed? And I want to just take you a little bit behind the, the curtain here on what has changed and why I think yeah, I don't think it's done by any stretch, but I think it's more likely than not we may get Rick Pitino to St. John's. The first reason is whether it's publicly, privately, whatever. I think Rick Pitino has made it clear. This is the job that I want. He did an interview a few weeks ago with Matt Norlander from CBS. Matt does a great job. And in that interview, he basically said, like, there's only like 10 states I want to live in. Now I'm paraphrasing, but the insinuation was, if Texas Tech opens up, if Ole Miss opens up, if uh, Minnesota opens up, and I don't think Minnesota is going to open up, but that's just a hypothetical. Like, I'm not going to live in Wisconsin or Montana or Idaho or West Texas to coach basketball. I'm just not doing that at that point in my life. And I've said on this show consistently, I've said there's only two places that he wants to be, either New York City or South Florida. Well, South Florida, Miami is not opening. So we can just go ahead and cross that off the list. And I don't know that he's going to go to the University of South Florida, the AAC, which is an irrelevant team. So that came out. And I think that kind of caught the attention of some people at St. John's. You can hear from somebody in the media that Patino wants to stay in New York. But when he says it himself, that's a completely different deal. Maybe Patino, you know, he's got ties in the New York area. Is it possible he got in somebody's ear? I think it is possible. I think important people at St. John's that needed to know that this is the job he wants probably now know it. The second part of why I think this could happen, though, to me, is much more interesting. And what I think has happened at St. John's is I think, to use a bad pun, I understand it's a religious school. I hope nobody gets offended with me saying this. I think they had a come-to-Jesus moment. I think the administration for weeks and weeks has said, no, 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 this is not an option. And now, the reality that you have a Hall of Fame coach in your city that wants your job and is going to leave to take another job, I think it just hit them over the head like a frying pan. Like, this is our chance. Like, like, like to me, this whole Rick Patino situation at St. John's, right now to me, it feels like more than just hiring a basketball coach. To me, this is a university-wide 
We either matter or we don't. Do we want to be a player on a national scene? Do we want people to know about this university? Or do we just want to be an also ran in the Big East like we've been for the last 20 years? Because if we want, if we're okay just being okay, then we can go get whatever young up and coming head coach or washed up old guy or whatever. But we've tried everything. We've tried Steve Lavin. We've tried Norm. You know, Norm Roberts was the up and coming coach. Steve Lavin was the name that everybody knew. Uh, Mike Anderson. We tried the alum with Chris Mullen. Just think about those names. Chris Mullen, Steve Lavin, Norm Roberts. If you want to be relevant, those are not the guys that you hire. And so I think the fact that a couple things. One, this guy's in your town. Two, he wants your job. And three, and we're going to talk about this in a second. I think you have a Big East rival in Georgetown that is ready to make a move and is ready to hire Rick Pitino if you don't. And so I think St. John's has had this moment of clarity of like, if we don't get this guy, if we let this guy go because we're on a moral high ground, we are doomed to not only be irrelevant, but we are going to have to face this guy twice a year, every year, and he's going to be blunt. He's probably going to beat our brains in. And so it seems to me that that is the prevailing thought at St. John's is that they're saying, no, if this guy, you know, if, if again, if whoever Louisville was to hire him or Miami was to hire him or Kentucky was to hire him and we never had to face him, we could look ourselves in the mirror and say, no, nah, that's not the right guy for us. But if he's going to go to our conference rival and beat our brains in, then we got to make a move. And so I'm recording here at about, you know, 7.30, 8.30 Eastern time on Thursday. St. John's has lost in the Big East tournament as the nine seed or eight seed or whatever they are to Marquette. My understanding is, and this stuff's always subject to change. I'm not saying it's done. But if things go as planned, I think Mike Anderson is going to be out soon. And I think the wait for Rick Patino is on. Obviously, as I record, Iona is still in their conference tournament. If they go to the NCAA tournament, that would delay some things. But if I had to bet on it, if I had to put a percentage on it, I'd say it's like 65-35-70-30 that Rick Pitino is going to be the next head coach at St. John's. And I would have said the opposite. I would have said 15-85 as of a week ago. So keep an eye on that. That's what I know. That's up to date. It's up to the minute. But I think the powers that be at St. John's basically sat there and said, if we don't make this move, we might be irrelevant forever. This is the move that makes us relevant. This is the move that gets us on the back pages in New York. John Dostrepsky is going to talk about it in a minute. So keep an eye on that. Very quickly, in conjunction with this piece of news, we did get an official you know, coaching change on Thursday. Patrick Ewing has been let go as the head coach of the Georgetown Hoyas. And this is not the moment in time where I'm going to throw dirt on Patrick Ewing's grave. I thought, you know, I remember I was working at FoxSports.com at the time that he was hired. He was the only guy that made sense. Remember, this guy wasn't just an icon at Georgetown as a player. He was a very well-respected coaching assistant in the NBA. And he was a guy that many people thought was going to get an NBA head coaching job. And so Georgetown kind of snagged this guy before an NBA team could. And at the time, I think we all thought it was the right move. But clearly it wasn't going to work out. Six years, uh, five losing seasons. The only season he did not have a losing record was the year of 2021, the COVID year, where they actually won the Big East tournament um, and made the NCAA tournament. And so if you go back to that season, it's kind of wild to think about. So his only year above 500 
or, or his only year at 500 was 2021. They go 13 and 13. And that was after winning four games in four days at the Big East tournament. Remember, that was the year that there was no fans in the stands. They also got the number one seed Villanova without Colin Gillespie. He had just gotten hurt the, like a week before. And so really, it just it brings an end to the Patrick Ewing era at Georgetown. It's sad. It's disappointing. It, it's, you know, in some ways, it's kind of like the Bayheim stuff, right? You wanted it to end better. You wanted this to be the move for Georgetown that worked and brought them back, and it just didn't happen. Six years in, one season of finishing at 500, and the last two years, you just absolutely cratered out. Six and 25 last year, 0 and 19 in the Big East. This year, 7 and 25, 2 and 18 in the Big East, and Patrick Ewing was officially let go on Thursday afternoon. What's interesting now is what's next. And what I will say is that this is one of the more unique coaching carousel situations that we've seen in a long time. And let me explain why. It's because ever, you know, there are great programs that are replacing coaches all the time. St. John's might be doing it in a few weeks. You know, whoever. UConn did it a few years ago with Dan Hurley. UNLV's done it. North Carolina's done it. Duke's done it. Whatever. What's different about Georgetown, though, is that for the first time, Basically, in the modern era, this is a coaching hire that is going to be made without the presence of John Thompson, the iconic former Georgetown head coach. If you remember, John, so let me just kind of do a 30,000 thing, right? So John Thompson, of course, greatest coach in school history, one of the great coaches in the history of college basketball. But when he retired in the late 90s, 1999, I believe. He has basically, he did stick around the program until he passed away just a few years ago. And because of it, because he's such an icon, because he is the most famous person associated with the school alongside Alonzo Mourning and Patrick Ewing and Dikembe Mutombo, he has had a big sway in the decision-making on coaches. Some would say he's been making the decisions, again, up until his passing a few years ago. If you look at the history of Georgetown hires, after John Thompson, here's who's gotten the job. His lead assistant, Craig Eshrick, took over for a few years. When he got fired, John Thompson III, JT3, took over. When JT3 ran out of time six years ago, Patrick Ewing, the most iconic player in the John Thompson era, took over. And so I just bring it up because every hire since John Thompson retired has had John Thompson's fingerprints all over it. Well, because he passed away, because he's no longer with us, that's what makes this hire so interesting. It's going to be the first time in forever that they can go out of the family and see what's available. The big questions are, what actually is available? Now, as I just said a minute ago, I think at the end of the day, the, the first candidate, the most obvious candidate, the guy that I think they're going to go after, I do think Georgetown wants Rick Pitino. And the money is there, and the you know the buyout money for John Thompson is there, and it feels like Rick Pitino is the guy that they will go get if Rick Pitino is not the head coach at St. John's. At this point, as I just said, I think St. John's, the tide is starting to turn there. But if St. John's hesitates, if St. John's waits, if St. John's is indecisive, Georgetown, I believe, is ready to step in and name uh, name Rick Pitino its next head coach. So I will see. Keep in mind, St. John's, as I record, still has a sitting head coach in Mike Anderson. If he's still there, this you know, if Rick Pitino's not coaching after this weekend, if the season ends for Iona before the NCAA tournament, and Rick Pitino is available, and Mike Mike Anderson is still the head coach Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday of next week, Rick Pitino might not wait around. So that's the first name to keep in mind. 
The second name, I'll, I'll just give you a few names. And, and I think it's, again, it's really hard to know who's a candidate and who's not because ultimately what we're trying to figure out is they haven't made a hire in the modern coaching era without John Thompson. So outside of Rick Pitino, a couple names do stand out. The first one is Mike Bray. Yes, Mike Bray, who just retired at Notre Dame. And I think we talked about it on this show, but I know a few of you have asked me because because Mike Bray announced his retirement. I'm leaving Notre Dame. It's time. I've been here 20 plus years. And then about three weeks later, he had an interview with Jeff Goodman where he said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm retiring from Notre Dame, but I plan on keeping coaching. And a lot of you asked me, well, Torres, what does that mean? And does it make sense? And why would that happen? And how did he quit? But he's still coaching. And as I said at the time, to me, that pointed to one of two things. Either it was him letting Georgetown know that he wanted that job or Georgetown telling him, hey, we're interested in you, but you got to let the world, we can't hire you out of retirement. You got to let the world know that you want to coach. And so for the background, I, a lot of people are probably sitting there saying, why Mike Bray? He's been at Notre Dame forever. Bottom line is this guy is from the Maryland, D.C. area. He coached at DeMatha High School, one of the great iconic high school programs in America. He's a D.C. guy through and through. And so for years, there's always been speculation that he wants to get back to the D.C. area. His first head coaching job was at Delaware. He's been at Notre Dame since the early 2000s. And so my hunch is that he unretired from Notre Dame to let the world know that I want to coach and this is the job that I want. I don't think Mike Bray is coming back to, again, coach at uh, wherever, fill in the blank, Georgia Southern, which just opened today, or Cal, which just opened on, on Thursday. I think he wants this job. This is probably the only job he would take, but it'll be interesting to see if Georgetown would actually make a move. Obviously, Mike Bray is in his mid-60s right now, about 62, 63, so early 60s. But if you hire him, it's not a 10-year thing. It's not a 20-year thing. It's probably a five, six-year thing to get back on track. The other name, I will say, that keeps popping up, and I would say I, I don't want to say that I don't understand it, but it, it keeps popping up too much to the point that it feels like there has to be something there. That's Providence head coach Ed Cooley. And Ed Cooley, I don't think people realize, has done an incredible job at Providence. Providence is one of those schools I think we think they have this incredible history. Ed Cooley is basically the best coach that they've ever had, at least in the modern era of college basketball. Okay. So they won the Big East last year. And basically from 2014 on, they made the tournament in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, five straight years. That was the first time in school history that they made the NCAA tournament for five straight years. And as a matter of fact, you go back to 1990. Before Ed Cooley, the 24 years before that, they made five total NCAA tournaments. He makes five NCAA tournaments from 2014 on. Plus 2022, plus this year, they're going to make the tournament as well. Question is, why would Ed Cooley leave? Well, one, Georgetown's a better job. Providence fans don't get mad. It's nothing personal. It's just the truth. Bottom line, Georgetown, it's it's a better job. Two, I do think it's kind of interesting that the, the situation at Georgetown. So if you go back to this past weekend, Georgetown, or excuse me, Providence, on senior day, I thought this was really interesting. Did you see what happened? Did you see what happened at Providence on senior day? They booed the Providence Friars at home. Ed Cooley's son was tweeting about it. It was a weird deal. And I don't want to say like the fan base has turned on him. I don't think it's that at all. 
But Ed Cooley just finished his, or he's in the middle of his 11th year at, at Providence. I know he's from Providence. He's from the, the, the Rhode Island area. But it does feel like maybe it's time for him to move on. I don't know if that's actually what he wants. But there's enough speculation that it makes me think that he would seriously consider it. Now, keep in mind, he was a candidate at Maryland last year and got a big extension. And that, to me, is the question we have to ask ourselves with Ed Cooley is really two things. One, would he want the job? But then two, on top of that, um, what's his buyout? Because remember, Providence is a private school. It's hard to know exactly what it would take to get him out of his contract. But if they can get him out of his contract, I think it's a job that he would absolutely consider. And again, there's just too much smoke to the idea of Ed Cooley. It's at least a possibility in my mind. Again, I think a lot of it depends on the job situation. By the way, imagine that. Ed Cooley to Providence, maybe Rick Pitino to St. John's. What happens at Providence at that point? We could see a lot of turnover in the Big East. The final obvious name to me is a guy that a lot of you might not know. His name's Micah Shrewsbury. Okay, Micah Shrewsbury is currently the head coach at Penn State. Uh, Penn State is in the middle of a season in which they're right on the bubble of the NCAA tournament. I don't know if they'll make it or not. But in year two, at probably the toughest job in the Big Ten, not named Northwestern, he's killing it. He's doing really well. They play well. They play a fun style. And it's clear this guy knows how to build a program in the portal era. Two years in, they're competing for NCAA tournament burst. They're really well coached if you watch him. And he's got a little bit of a track record, too. Coached under Brad Stevens with the Boston Celtics. Coached under Matt Painter at Purdue under two separate instances before he got this Penn State job. So this guy has the credibility, the the background, the the kind of, if you will, street cred among basketball people. But now he's been a head coach and he's doing it. And so he's the one where, if you just don't want Mike Bray because he's too old, and Ed Cooley says no, and Rick Pitino, whatever, he's the one that I, I don't think says no if he's offered it, but he's the name to keep in mind. Tell you, the Patino stuff is interesting. The Ed Cooley stuff is interesting. Keep an eye. We will continue to discuss this as time goes on. But those are the four names that come to mind for me for Georgetown. All right. We are like, what, 35 minutes into this show. We still have an interview to go. Going to take a quick break, and we'll react to some of the stuff that has happened over the last couple days in college basketball, conference tournaments, all that good stuff. Take a quick break. Be right back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And I actually want to get to some of the the on-the-court results. We just spent a lot of time talking about some of the coaching carousel stuff. And so because of it, it just feels like 
let, let's let's just try to get to some of the the, the games, the matchups. What it all means, all that good stuff. We'll get to John Dostremski on the back end. This is a very busy show, so we will try to keep this segment a little bit quicker, kind of a whip around style. Let's get to the Power Six conferences, what happened, what you need to know. Let's start in the ACC because the ACC to me, uh, as I said, I thought it was a very interesting conference coming in. It felt like Miami, Duke, and really outside of those two, only uh, the number two seed in this tournament Virginia. So Virginia, Miami, and Duke felt like the only teams that were really in and everybody else was playing for something. So obviously the big news in Greensboro outside of Jim Beheim was the bubble. The biggest story was of course, North Carolina, the reigning national runners up. I felt like North Carolina came in needing to win a minimum of two. Basically that'd be Boston college on the opening night. Then they had to beat Virginia in the quarterfinals just to play themselves onto the bubble probably needed to win a semifinal play in the final to get in as an at-large if they didn't win the automatic bid. Well, just one problem. They lost to Virginia in the in the quarterfinals on Thursday night. North Carolina's regular season and conference tournament is done. And I don't think they're making the NCAA tournament. Listen, I could go on and on with the North Carolina thing, but bottom line is I, I think there was this sentiment of like, don't let North Carolina get hot in Greensboro. And I mean, I guess I sort of get it. They clearly have the talent. They're playing in their home state. It's a de facto home court, but they are kind of who they are. They really haven't been good since the opening night of the season. It never really got better. They never really put anything together for more than a two, three, four game stretch. And so I'm not surprised that they lost to Virginia. And now you look at them and it feels like they're going to get an NIT bid. And I don't know whether they're going to accept it or not. The bottom line with North Carolina, again, inconsistent all year, needed two, probably three wins. They get one. And you look at the resume, and there's really nothing that reflects that they have an NCAA tournament resume right now. Overall, on the season, no really, really, really bad losses. But they have, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, they have one quad one win all season long. One quad one win. It was a few weeks ago against Virginia at home. And other than that, the resume is just nothing to speak of. They kind of took care of the bottom half of the ACC, the top half they struggle with. They got swept by Pitt. They lost at NC State. They lost at you know Miami. They 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 got swept by Duke. You go on and on. There just isn't that much there. And so, I mean, I guess in theory, if all sorts of crazy stuff happened at this point, maybe they they get into the play-in. But I don't even think they get into the play-in at this point because most of the teams that needed to win kind of won the games that they needed to. North Carolina, in my opinion, is out of the NCAA tournament picture. We will follow on Sunday. I don't really see anything resembling a resume that reflects an NCAA tournament team. They lose on Thursday night to Virginia. I think North Carolina is out. Let's stay in the ACC. Uh, Pitt, Pitt and NC State. Let's just kind of do them together. They were kind of an interesting pair because I think neither of those teams really, what those two teams needed, they needed to avoid bad losses more than they needed great wins. Well, the good news, Pitt took care of business in their opener against Georgia Tech and Josh Pastner. NC State obliterated Virginia Tech in their opener. Both teams avoided bad losses. Now, the question is, they neither of them won in their quarterfinal. Pitt got blasted by Duke. NC State got blasted by Clemson. And now the question becomes, did they do enough they avoided the bad losses. They didn't add any impressive wins to the resume, 
But was that enough? For NC State, I don't want to jinx it because a few years ago, NC State was the first team out of the tournament, and I think it was 2019. So it's happened to NC State fans recently. I think they're in, though. I think they're good, and they will be a problem if they get in. Those three guards, Jarkel Joyner, Terquavian Smith, and Casey Morsell are a problem. Jack Clark coming on strong. NC State probably did enough. Pitt, in my opinion, probably did enough as well. Again, avoided that bad loss. But you look at their numbers, they're not great. They have one or two really bad losses early in the season. This is the Pitt Panthers that I'm talking about. If you go back to November, um, you know, I don't know about really bad losses, but they lost to Vanderbilt when they weren't playing well. They lost to VCU, who's kind of only okay. They lost to Michigan, who we're going to get into in a second. But Pitt, probably you look at their resume. Overall, they're sitting at, after this tournament, 22-11. and 11. Again, no terrible losses, but no really, really, really great wins. They did sweep North Carolina. Uh, They did have in the out-of-conference a win over Northwestern. They did take care of NC State early in the conference play. It feels as though Pitt is in. Wouldn't shock me if they end up getting a play-in spot. So, in other words, one of those first four games in Dayton. Think Pitt is in think they're okay, think NC State should be good as well. The only other quarterfinal that I did not mention, number one, Miami, uh, took care of business against Wake Forest. They were up. Wake Forest rallied. Wake Forest, of course, is the team that beat North Carolina. Wake Forest is out. Miami is in. Sets up semifinals on on Friday night. Miami against Duke. They might be the two best teams in this tournament right now. And Clemson against Virginia. My hunch is Virginia wins. Miami and Duke. Miami destroyed Duke in Miami earlier this year. Duke got revenge at Cameron Indoor, so it'll be an interesting one. I picked Miami to win the tournament. Let's stick with that. Let's keep it going. Let's go to some of the other conferences. You know, the Big Ten, they like the SEC. They have not even gotten to the quarterfinals yet. So their best teams, Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern, and Michigan State, have yet to start the Big Ten tournament. But the Big Ten, as I talked about coming into the week, They had by far the biggest bubble, the most teams on the bubble. Some of them had a really good performance. Some of them had a really bad performance. Let's start with the really bad. Wisconsin actually had to play a play-in game on the opening night of the tournament. They lose to Ohio State. Wisconsin, in my opinion, at 17 and 14, 9 and 11 in the Big Ten. They are out. Wisconsin, incredible stat. Never won. How about this? They never won back-to-back games. In conference play, they never, they never went back-to-back games in the calendar year of 2023. In my opinion, they're out. They came in on the bubble. They they needed to avoid a bad loss and then pick up wins. They pick up a bad loss to Ohio State. Credit Ohio State, who actually beat Iowa in the second round on Wednesday. Also on the bubble, we mentioned this one the other day, Michigan and Rutgers in the 8-9 game. This felt like a loser leaves town game. This felt like... If you don't win this game, you're not going to the NCAA tournament. Michigan loses this one to Rutgers. Michigan with the loss falls to 17 and 15 overall, 3 and 12 in those big quad one games. My hunch is Michigan is out. I don't know how you could justify putting a 17 and 15 team in that went 3 and 12 in quad one games. From the Rutgers perspective, they're now 19 and 13. They went 10 and 10 in the regular season. They were not good down the stretch. But they did get the big win on Thursday afternoon. 
you want they, they play Purdue on on Friday, by the way, Purdue, the number one seed in the tournament. And all I would really say about that is obviously Rutgers, who beat Purdue early in the season, you get that when you feel really good. If not, you're probably sweating on selection Sunday. Rutgers, my guess would be in another team that would not be surprised if they were in that first four in Dayton. Let's keep it going in the Big Ten. So again, the quarters tomorrow will be Purdue versus Rutgers. And then Ohio State beat Wisconsin and Iowa. They will play Michigan State on the bottom half of the bracket. How about this? Penn State upsets Illinois. Penn State, another team that entered on the bubble. They get the win. They actually looked really impressive. They are 20-12 and overall. They got the victory on Thursday night. They have now won six of their last seven. And I'll tell you, you know, final 10 games used to be an NCAA tournament resume thing. It no longer is, but Penn state's playing really well. I hope they get the opportunity. They beat Maryland on the final day of the regular season, one at Northwestern late in the year, one beat Illinois in the regular season, and then beat them in the conference tournament. Penn state playing really well. They will play Northwestern, I believe on Friday night and then Indiana will take on Indiana will take on Maryland, which took care of business against Minnesota. Maryland and Indiana are both in. Again, my pick to win this tournament was Michigan State over Indiana. So we'll see what happens there. But Michigan State, Indiana, Northwestern, and Purdue will all tip off their tournament on Friday. Let's keep it going. Let's go out to the Big 12, okay? So a couple interesting things on the Big 12. The first, a little bit of a a real scary situation, honestly, is that Bill Self actually um, did not coach Kansas on... Bill Self did not coach Kansas on Thursday. We get a report that he's in the hospital. There's a report on the internet that he had a heart attack. Now, Kansas has recently, uh, you know, late Thursday released a statement saying there was no heart attack, but Bill Self is in the hospital because of an illness. He is not going to coach the entire Big 12 tournament. So this is one I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to pretend I have any inside information. Don't want the inside information. I just hope Bill Self is okay. I hope he's good to go. I hope he's ready for the NCAA tournament. And if he isn't, I just hope that he's okay health-wise. That's what's most important. Kansas takes care of business against West Virginia. And now Kansas, how about this? They play Iowa State who for the second time in a week beat Baylor. Remember, Baylor played Iowa State on the final day of the regular season at home and got blasted, and then they lost again to Iowa State in the play, or in the, the quarterfinal on Thursday afternoon. From the Baylor perspective, I'll just tell you this. I'm out on Baylor. When the bracket comes out, I don't care what the matchup is. They're a talented team. I think they can make it to a Sweet 16. They are not a team that can win a national championship, though. They're too inconsistent. Something's not quite right. Baylor has now lost four of its last six. Again, got blasted on the final day of the regular season. You thought you would have gotten a best effort from them. Instead, they lose to Iowa State. The other half of the bracket, Texas takes care of Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State really is... Oklahoma State's on the bubble. I don't know what else to to say. They needed to beat Oklahoma in the play-in game on Wednesday. They did that. They really needed another win on Thursday to feel good, they lose to Texas. Don't know what to make of Oklahoma State. Again, feels like a team that with Wisconsin's loss and Michigan's loss and some of these other teams that we're going to get to in a minute, 
Oklahoma State feels like they're probably a play-in type team. I think a best-case scenario for Oklahoma State is a play-in game. A worst-case scenario is that they're out. I don't really see the scenario where they're like a 10 seed and don't have to worry on the day of, you know, when the bracket comes out. Oklahoma State right on the edge. I do think West Virginia, by the way, who beat Texas Tech in their opener, lost to Kansas in the quarters. West Virginia has probably done enough. And then the late game, TCU, who was my pick to win it, no big deal. They take care of business against Kansas State, 80-67. to 67. Both these teams are good. This is not a TCU is the, seven, uh, the sixth seed. This is not an indictment on, on Kansas State that Kansas State stinks. No, Kansas State is really good. I think TCU is just really, really, really good when they're at full strength. They take care of business. Semifinal setup, TCU against Texas. Remember, TCU beat Texas in the final week of the regular season. Kansas against Iowa State. Iowa State actually beat Kansas the last time they played in Ames. Again, no Bill Self in that one. And I think TCU is the interesting one there. From the bubble perspective, West Virginia probably has done enough over the last two weeks to be in Oklahoma State very much on the bubble. My guess is Big 12 gets seven teams, maybe an eighth in Oklahoma. Let's keep it going. Let's keep the party going. Big East. Okay, so Big East, really interesting. So Marquette's the number one seed. Marquette takes care of business. Marquette beats St. John's in overtime. And again, that we very much talked about because I think there's some big Rick energy coming to the garden. I think Rick Pitino will be the the St. John's head coach the next time that they walk out of the tunnel. They lose, maybe go to the NIT. But for the most part, Mike Anderson, I don't think really survives this week and this weekend. Um, But Marquette wins. UConn wins a wild one. So I was doing radio during this game. I couldn't watch it closely, but UConn beats Providence. UConn was up 27 points at one point. Providence rallies, cuts it to about three or four with a minute or two to go. UConn holds on. UConn Marquette will be a great one on Friday night at the Garden. I think I said it on the last show. I don't miss very much about living on the East Coast. Being at Madison Square Garden during Champ Week for the Big East Tournament is one And then on the other side of the bracket from the Big East, not really much to add. Creighton, my pick to win this tournament, took care of Villanova pretty easily. Again, I told you Villanova was kind of an interesting team. Could they do enough? Could they make a run? They had just beaten Creighton, but Creighton gets their revenge. Villanova, first year of the the post-Jay Wright era is over. Villanova finishes 17-16 and overall. And I just think they're an interesting program to monitor because – A lot of those guys on that team were fifth-year guys that decided to come back for the program rather than go pro after last year. Cam Whitmore, their star freshman, is gone. And there's just not a lot of dudes coming back for that team. And you talk about a changing Big East where Marquette has their coach with Shaka Smart, where Xavier has their coach with Sean Miller, where UConn is in good hands with Dan Hurley, and where St. John's and Georgetown could make an upgrade really quick. Is Villanova going in the wrong direction? Because this was supposed to be the bridge year where the veterans kind of kept them afloat, kept them good to go. Instead, they finished 17 and 16. We'll be interesting to see what happens. Creighton plays Xavier in the championship game. Big news from Xavier we talked about, or in the semifinal, excuse me. Big news from Xavier. They lost one of their star players, Zach Fremantle, to a season-ending injury. He had been out, was officially ruled out for the season before this tournament. They beat DePaul. So we have the the top four seeds actually in the Big East. UConn and Marquette on one side of the bracket. Marquette's the one seed. UConn's the four. And of course, 
On the other side of the bracket, we have the 2-3 matchup, Xavier and Creighton. I expect to see a Creighton-UConn final, and I did pick Creighton before the tournament. Uh, SEC. So SEC like the Big Ten. SEC like the Big Ten. The top four teams have yet to take the court in Nashville. So Alabama, the one seed. The four seed, Missouri. How about our guy, Dennis Gates? The three seed, Kentucky. The two seed, Texas A&M. They will all take the court on Friday. From the SEC perspective, most interesting game, Mississippi State does win in overtime. They take care of business against Florida. think they're probably in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, if they were to beat Alabama, that would officially punch their ticket. Don't know if they will, but remember, they played Alabama tough at Coleman Coliseum about three or four weeks ago, but Mississippi State could not lose on Thursday. They get the win. Second game, Tennessee takes care of business against Ole Miss. Tennessee-Missouri, very interesting matchup. Tennessee, the last time these two teams played, Missouri won at the buzzer. But remember, that was when Tennessee had Zakai Ziegler. We'll see what Tennessee looks like without him. They get the win against Ole Miss. In the night bracket, Arkansas. Weird game from Arkansas. Okay, so it was one of like, I was watching it, and Arkansas was in complete control, so I turn it off. And then all of a sudden, it's a two-point game, and Auburn's rallying. But Auburn holds on to beat all. Uh, Arkansas holds on to beat Auburn. For Arkansas, listen, four straight 20, 21 season for Eric Musselman. Um, still think just because of the bodies, they're still trying to figure things out. Still up, down, this, that, the other thing. But a four straight 21 season, they're going to the NCAA tournament. And Auburn with the win over Tennessee on Saturday to end the regular season a week ago. I think they get in even with the loss. Auburn at 20 and 12 overall, 10 and 8 in the SEC. Auburn loses. The late game, Vanderbilt quietly takes care of business against LSU. For LSU, uh, year one under Matt McMahon comes to an end. Obviously a little bit of a disappointment, but despite it, um, we'll see what happens with LSU. But but Vanderbilt, I think, is the story. Vanderbilt's playing really well. They don't have their key player, Liam, Liam Robbins. But listen, they just won at Rupp Arena a few days ago. By the way, from the Kentucky perspective, it appears as though um, Case and Wallace will play on Friday. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But again, I picked Texas A&M to win this tournament largely because I don't know what's going on with Case and Wallace. If Case and Wallace plays, Kentucky is as live as anybody in these conference tournaments. Finally, Pac-12, UCLA, first game post-Jalen Clark injury. Don't remember if we got to that on Wednesday's show, but Jalen Clark, star guard, out for the year, Achilles injury. It's just awful, awful, awful news. They survived Colorado, but they did not look good. And you talk about a situation where they could be in trouble. The Oregon team that they're playing has been up and down all year, but Oregon is not an easy team to beat. Oregon actually has a bunch of dudes. For Kentucky fans, you'll remember this name. Remember the name in Folly Dante? A few years ago, the recruitment came down to Kentucky and Oregon. He chooses Oregon. Well, he's Oregon's best player, 13.5 points per game, 8.5 rebounds, almost two blocks per game. Oregon right now, they re- they need to beat UCLA to get into the NCAA tournament. But they quietly won their final three games of the regular season. They beat Washington State in their opener. Would not shock me if they beat UCLA. Would not shock me if they play their way in to the NCAA tournament. Other side of the bracket, Arizona takes care of business. Wasn't pretty. Arizona did their Arizona thing up and down. But Arizona gets the win. Tommy Lloyd, by the way, 50 career wins. Most wins 
ever for a head coach through his first two years. So congrats to Arizona. They will play the winner of USC Arizona State. Not going to lie, I'm recording here at about midnight Eastern time. I will not be staying up for this entire game. If Arizona State wins, they are probably on the right side of the bubble. If Arizona State loses, they are probably on the wrong side of the bubble. So we'll see what happens there. A couple other notes before I get to my buddy John Jastrzemski. Uh, First of all, in the Pac-12, Cal has fired Mark Fox. Not surprised. Um, Mark Fox was an abominable hire when it happened. It was an awful decision. Um, You know, I can get into the semantics of it. I don't know if you care, but I'll just tell you, um, you know, he was a safe hire. They had, if you remember, Conzo Martin had been there. He left for Missouri. They elevated Conzo Martin's assistant, Y. King Jones. It did not work. So they wanted the safe former coach, bring him in. Well, Mark Fox finishes, how about this, 38-87 and as the head coach of Cal, 17-61 and in the Pac-12. Curious to see who they go after. Two obvious names there. Joe Pasternak at UC Santa Barbara. Russ Turner at UC Irvine. Two coaches, small schools in California. I think both would do very well there. And then finally, from the other conferences, you know, uh, Nevada, I think the big story outside of the power six, Nevada, Steve Alford, we may have talked about this. I can't remember, but Nevada was a wild story. They, they, they weren't projected to do very well this year. They overachieve all year. And then they basically go into the final week of the season. And essentially, let me just lay it out for you. All they really needed to do was basically win one of their final three games. So their final three games were against Wyoming, the worst team in the Mountain West, UNLV, who finished seventh in the Mountain West, or their conference tournament opener against San Jose State. They ended up losing all three, and I think Nevada's officially on the wrong side of the bubble. Listen, Wolfpack fans don't like me because of all the stuff that happened a million years ago when Steve Alford was hired, but this is who he is. When you need a big win, can't count on him. Nevada needed one of their final three and could not get it. All right. I think that's it for Torres rambling on today's Aaron Torres pod. So I'm going to get out of here on this. I'm going to get out of here and welcome in my buddy, uh, John Dostremski. So for people who don't know JJ, JJ was on the show a few weeks ago. Really just a good dude. So so JJ and I go way back. He used to be a, a radio host at WFAN, the big New York radio station. Um, and, and he has since left to host a podcast for the Ringer Network called New York, New York. He now talks all things New York all the time. Um, and he, um, you know, he's also a Syracuse guy. So I bring him on. He and I talk a little bit about Bayheim, and then we switch gears to talk Patino. And then we talk even a little bit of Aaron Rodgers. So, so JJ is coming up. John Dostremski from the ringer. He was on about a month ago. I think you guys and girls will really enjoy it. Before I get out of here, I want to remind you, if you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get over to John Jastrzemski. So before I go, quick reminder. One, thank you to our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. Make sure to download 
bet $50 on any game this weekend, get up to $1,000, $1,111 to be exact, in free bets. Also, make sure to sign up for the Aaron Torres Pod Bracket Challenge, courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. Time for me to go, time for me to get to JJ, and that's all I have today. So, with that said, shout out to Torn Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Can't believe all the stuff going on with JJ Reddick this week. We're cool now. I respect what he did, but unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Monday. How about this? We're going to have a bracket on Monday. But for now, let's get to John Dostremski from the ring. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Joining me via Zoom. You know, it's not often. We, we don't do very many guests these days on the Aaron Torres pod, but about what three weeks ago, John Dostremski, the ringer, uh, New York, New York, joined me. Uh, he's a Syracuse guy now based out of New York, covers all things New York sports. But uh, before he was New York, New York, he was the Syracuse guy. So we talked a little Bayheim, a little St. John's, a little everything. He's back. You know who's not back for the first time in 48 years? Jim Bayheim. First of all, JJ, what's going on, man? Uh, you and I were texting all day Wednesday when this news broke. What's going on, man? How you doing? It's a weird day, Aaron. First of all, thanks for having me, number one. Number two, yeah, the idea that Syracuse is going to have a new basketball coach. Uh, Gerald Ford was the president when Jim Beheim mm-hmm. started coaching. So, like, let's let's just think about that for a minute. Gerald freaking Ford was president of the United States when Jim Beheim started his tenure at Syracuse. Look, you knew this day was coming. Clearly, the program has not been moving in the in the right direction over the last two years. It's been the worst two year stretch, arguably, in the tenure of Jim Beheim. But it's a bittersweet day, Aaron. Listen, it's bittersweet because a lot of memories are rushing to you. Obviously, the moments of brilliance are rushing to you. And listen, I think I could say this without hesitation. I don't think we'll ever see a coach coach 47 years ever again. I mean, do you? No. No, I I was actually thinking about that. That was, you know, it's one of those things. So I was a little bit torn. I talked about this before you came on. I did a little quick segment. And it's like, it's like, I have been, I think, more critical than most people just because, I, I, and we talked about this last time, I know what Syracuse can be. It, it could and should be in the top 15 every year. The, the, the Carrier Dome is a unique entity unto itself. It, it The program has so much potential it hasn't reached it. With that said, it was still very like like there it was still sad on Wednesday when this news all came out. Let me start by asking you this. Um, it, when we talked, it was I think a day or two after the comments about NIL and Wake Forest and Pitt. Um, and I, I I felt like that was kind of a public turning point for for Beheim, where he's been struggling, but whatever, and his kids had previously been on the team, but now they're not anymore. Did you what what has been the sentiment around Syracuse basketball? Because even that interview that I think was late January, it was the week of the Super Bowl. I remember you were getting ready to travel um, that week. It felt like he said, it's my decision. I'll leave when I want. And it felt like the last three, four weeks, uh, a tone had turned within the fan base or the administration or whomever. Is that fair to say it? It just feels like a lot has changed since the last time we talked about four or five weeks ago. 
I do think there's something to that, 100%. I thought that was a really bad look for Jim Beheim. We talked about it at the time. He did not exactly receive a whole lot of love from people in the Syracuse media, the college basketball media. People went after him, and deservedly so. He walked back those comments. He apologized about a lot of the ridicule that he gave programs like Wake Forest and Pitt, and on and on we go. So I think there was that. And then the way Syracuse finished up the year, Aaron, they had the win against NC State. I'm like, okay, here we go again. Is Syracuse going to work their way onto the NCAA tournament bubble like they always do? Get in, get hot. You know, you've seen him do it so many times. You've seen Beheim when he's like kicked to the curb, strike back with a vengeance, but then they lose and get smoked by Duke. They get smoked by Clemson. They get smoked by Pittsburgh. Then they played their second-to-last home game against Georgia Tech. And no knock on Josh Pastner and his team. They played much better down the stretch. But they obliterated Syracuse. I mean, to the point where Syracuse lost by 30 points. They're getting booed. You had some fans wearing paper bags over their heads. Like, that is – that's not Syracuse. So, the Wake Forest game this weekend was very nostalgic because it was the 20th anniversary celebration for the 2003 team. They wore the throwback quarter zips. As you can tell, we got some honking going on. I don't know what the hell's going on out there. But anyway, quarter zips, you had Jerry's number get retired. You had Kim Warwick's number get retired. Mello's there. Like, the whole band is back together. And there was just a sense from people I talked to up there, this is it. Wow. Nobody said it. Nobody really knew officially. But the vibe was, this could be it for Jim Behan. So his presser on Wednesday was weird after the Wake Forest game. But... Aaron, are you surprised? Like, it's Jim Beheim. He, Jim Beheim wasn't going to go up to the podium and say, hey, I'm retiring. Like, that, right after a game when they lose on a buzzer beater. Like, that's that's just not Jim Beheim. So, I'm not surprised, quite frankly, with this news. I know it's Beheim. We thought this day would never come. But the tea leaves were definitely there over the last month. Do you, like, are you surprised? Like, it, so, first of all, it, it is weird because I did like a quick immediate reaction video shortly after. And I was like, oh, you know, Jim Beheim retired. And then, you know, I went back and reread the statement and obviously, you know, rewatched his press conference. And it's very clear that he doesn't really want to leave. Um, are you surprised? Like, are, I'll just ask you, are you surprised that the administration had the guts to look this man? In? I mean, he basically called put them on black. I don't know if put them on blast is the right word, but he kind of pushed his chips in the middle in that Wednesday press conference of it's not my decision. Don't talk to me. And then an hour or two later, we get that statement. Are you surprised that the administration had the guts to essentially, I don't know if fire is the right word, but he basically got fired on Wednesday. Well, it feels like he got pushed out to yes. some degree. I mean, there's, there's no getting around that. I'm not, I'm not going to say the guy got fired because you know, it's not like, but it didn't end well. Like it was not this graceful, you know, elaborate, like farewell tour that Krzyzewski got. But let's be honest, Aaron, he was never getting that. Like there are certain things, like Beheim is a storied figure in college basketball. I think we'll we'll both agree Mm -hmm. on that. 47 years at Syracuse speaks for itself, but he's not like the warm and fuzzy, not that Coach K is to, but you know how it is with Coach K. There's this certain cachet. It's Duke, the Olympics, the whole deal. Beheim played the villain role for a lot of years in college basketball. So it's not like every school is going to be giving Jim Beheim bouquets as he's walking out the door. <laughs> That's a good it, point. It, 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 I am a little bit surprised, quite frankly. But you know what? I think the last two years, 
his age, which absolutely plays a factor. If Jim Beheim was 10 years younger, I think you'd give him far more of the benefit of the doubt because you'd say, wow, look at the track record. Look at the program. Look at the history of it. When you're pushing 80 years old, Aaron, it's very much an ageism, what have you done for me lately type deal. It is. Jim's not going to have the same wiggle room at 78 that he had at 58 or 68. And when you're coming off the two worst years the program has had forever, that combined with the age, Jim, it's time. Real quick, for for the younger audience, you know, the, the guys and girls that are in their late teens, early 20s, in college at Syracuse now, I think it's easy to forget. Like, it's easy to just watch the last seven, eight, nine years, and yeah, there's been some tournament runs, but they've kind of been irrelevant, whatever. The bubble team. They've been yes. bubble cues. That's what they've been. They've been the team that overachieves in the tournament and is lucky to get in and makes the most of it. That For anybody, like, beyond 2015, like, if you're under the age of, like, 25, that's probably yeah. what you think about when it comes to Syracuse. And I was going to ask you, for somebody that was there, I think you got there shortly after the championship run, and those teams were still very, very, very good. Uh, Tell us what he was like more towards his prime, because I think there is a generation of younger people that never saw him, and they just see him as the old grumpy guy that never wins. Who cares? But obviously guys that are are my age and your age, it's like, no, he was was pretty good for literally like 35, 38, 40 of those 47 years. 100%. And I think with Behan, the first thing that comes to mind to me, Aaron, he's a basketball savant. He loves basketball. Like, he'll reference, even over the last couple of years, he'll reference a game from, like, the Mountain West at, like, 1130 at 12 o'clock at night. It's like, hold on a second. You're coaching. You're in the Big East in the ACC, and you're watching Mountain West, and you're watching NBA. Like, the guy absolutely loves basketball loves it so like that's something i'm always going to take away and listen i don't need to give your audience the the history lesson on jim behan he's one of the founding fathers of the big east like there's no getting around that and yesterday because i was in the nostalgic kind of mode i'm not gonna lie aaron i went back and watched the 30 for 30 documentary uh at like 1 30 in the morning i said you know what i'm in a mood i'm gonna watch this so and good. it's the building of the Carrier Dome, and it's pro Washington, and it's Jim Beheim going up against John Thompson, Syracuse, Georgetown. And for me, listen, it sounds crazy. My time at Syracuse, as big as the Georgetown rivalry was, Syracuse-UConn mm-hmm. was the rivalry when I was there. I mean, mm-hmm. I did the post-game show after the six-overtime game. You had Calhoun with those great teams. You had Beheim with those great teams. Uh, and the guy was a terrific, terrific tournament coach. Here's what I'll say about Behan. He always did better with the team that didn't have the highest of expectations. He would take a team that was a four seed. He would take a team that was a 10 seed and get the most out of them. That's where Behan was at his best. And he kind of had the, the reputation early in his career, Aaron, where he had the top teams, the Billy yeah. Owens, the Sherman Douglas teams that would lose early in the tournament. And that was always the, the knock on Jim. Oh, he, he can't win the big one. He, he can't win when it matters the most. And then later in his career, he didn't have the regular season success, but was having all this tournament success. Like, Jim Beheim, I think his last, geez, like 10 tournament appearances, he lost in the first round once. Wow. 2019. That, that was, it was like an automatic bet. He was getting it minimum to the round of 32 and more often than not, the round of 16. Um, 
We'll never see anything like it, man. 45, 47 years at one school. Like, it's good. It's going to be an adjustment next year. And I wish Red Autry all the best. I hope he does a fabulous job. It's going to be weird not seeing the old man on the sidelines in Syracuse. Was well, a UConn guy, I went through this about a decade ago with Calhoun. For people who don't know, tell us about the new head coach. And frankly, you know, he's been around Bayheim, but what do you expect? Do you expect the two three zone? Do, like, what what do we what do we know and what do we expect? Okay, so I have no idea what kind of style they're going to play. I wanted to talk to a couple of Q's guys yesterday. Lucky enough that I've you know come across a bunch of players. Not trying to name drop here a little bit, but Derek Coleman. Listen, yeah, he wasn't. Well, here's the thing. No, 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 younger guys because. <laughs> I don't know Red Autry because he wasn't on the staff when I was at school. Sure. I was there 2006 to 2010. So you had Hopkins on the bench. Uh, you had Rob Murphy, who ended up coaching. He was on the bench. I think Jerry was there my last year or two. Red Autry came in 2011. So I don't know him personally at all. I talked to guys who did. They swear by him. Hmm. They tell me he's a great guy. He's a good recruiter. But my question for Red is, look, college basketball has changed dramatically. You're going to go recruit. I hope you're going to be able to recruit. That's a given. If you can't, you're not going to be a successful college basketball head coach. I think the 2-3 zone needs to be modified. Agreed. I'm not saying they can't play it at times, Aaron. I'm not saying that they can't play it half the time. But when you run into a shooter that's just shooting the lights out, the game has changed. The shooting percentages and the three-point shot that – wasn't being hit the same way it's being hit now because you have this, this revolution of Steph Curry. Everybody wants to be Steph Curry now. That's the thing. Like, these kids growing up, they watch Steph. I want to be that guy. So they're just draining threes. The shooting in college basketball has gotten better. They're shooting more threes. That's where the zone has been put at a disadvantage. So I think you could play it from time to time, but to exclusively play the 2-3 zone in 2023 in college basketball – and I was always a pro zone guy, Aaron, because I'm like, they're college kids. They can't shoot. Sure. The, the math, the numbers, it works out. You have the, the personnel and the players to do it. Do it. Not anymore. I, my opinion has changed on that. So I'd like to see Syracuse modified to some degree. Well, and I think, too, the other thing, and I've said this with Bayham for years, dude, the best players want to get to the NBA as fast as possible, and you're just not going to do that. It's it's a harder sell playing the zone, like, oh, I'm going to get you ready for the NBA in one year or two years or whatever. Those are the guys that ultimately win. Last Syracuse question, we'll get two other quick questions, we'll get you out of here. But from the Syracuse perspective, any re is there any reason in your mind that they can't re-elevate for the, the, the crowd that is 25-plus that does remember number one seeds, top 10 finishes, top 15 finishes, McDonald's All-Americans. Is there any reason they can't? Because I remember one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on this show is because I scream into this microphone all the time. Is like, I have been to big games at the Dome. That place is so unique. It's so different. And this program should always be in the top 10, top 15, every single year competing at the highest level. They have advantages that no one else has, even though obviously there's some disadvantages with the geography and everything. Point being, is there any reason that whether it's this coach, whether like over the next 10 years, is there any reason that they can't get back to that level where they're competing at the top of the conference? I know that since they got to the ACC, it hasn't had the same level of success, but any reason that they can't? Because to me, I still think this is a program that has all the tools and necessities to compete at the highest level of the sport. Yeah, listen, I'm not even going to say top 10. Can they get back to Aaron consistently being a top 30 team? Sure. You know, where every now, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you're, you're not, let's put it this way. You're not Duke. 
where every year you're of the expectation you're going to be in the top 10. Like, I don't, I don't think the standard is that high in Syracuse, but throw me a top 10, top 15 every three to five years and, you know, make sure you're perennially in the mix. Does that make sense? Of like, course. That to me is, listen, every now and again, you're going to have a down year. North Carolina has down years. UConn, UCLA, like every now and again, you're going to have that anomaly of a year. It just can't be extended stretches. Can Syracuse do it? Yeah, listen, it's about NIL. It's about transfer portal. It's about recruiting. Um, If they can harness and develop and grow those entities in three to four years, I want to see Adrian Autry have a top 25 team. And if not, then he's not the right coach. for. I'm not saying it's got to happen overnight, Aaron. Within three to four years, can you get me a top 25 team? Is that too much to ask? I don't think so. In this ACC? No, it shouldn't be. In that's the way what I'm the, saying. Yeah. If you do it right and you make it – that's the thing with college basketball now. Like you say, oh, it's tough to – you could turn it around pretty quickly if you attack the transfer portal. And, you know, it's not as much necessarily about, hey, I got to have all my freshmen grow, develop, and be there for three to four years – you don't know if they're going to be there for three or four years anymore, man. They could say after one year, screw this, I'm going somewhere else. So you got to have that right mix. That's what the team, the right teams have a good mix of guys who stay and they complement with the transfer portal. No question. One quick thought on that. Um, Louisville fans have been in my mentions, but they're right is that Kenny Payne this year, like you, you should never be four and 28 at Louisville in the transfer portal. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happens. And so you look at, Kansas State, Missouri, both teams that are very comfortably in the NCAA tournament with first-year coaches. It can happen with the right coach with the transfer portal 2023. All right, two quick ones. We'll get you out of here. One, uh, last time I talked to you, I I was peer pressuring you into helping me make Rick Pitino to St. John's happen. We're recording here before St. John's plays Marquette. So um, I I don't know if Marquette's going to win, if St. John's is going to survive to to the what would be semifinals, whatever. What is your sense of where St. John's is right now? Is Mike Anderson, I, I'm i starting to get some intel that Mike Anderson probably will be out after the Big East tournament. And uh, I don't know. I don't want to say it, but but I, I'm, I'm getting Pitino's some big Rick Pitino's the guy to No, I'll say it. And we have a little bit of a different tune from the last conversation mm-hmm. we had. Somebody pretty close told me it's possible. Yes. That's all I'm going to say, Aaron. It's possible. And if you St. John's, do it. Whatever it takes. You haven't won a tournament game in 20-something years. Unbelievable. You, know, you want to get buzz around a program that has been as irrelevant as it gets in New York. Rick Pitino gives you immediate buzz, immediate credibility. Do it. Do it. And he's there. He's in the city. And, you know, I, I don't know how closely you follow the day-to-day of college hoops. He did an interview about three weeks ago with Matt Norlander where he said, there's only like 12 states I want to live in. Like, well, I'm not going to say if they don't hire him, Georgetown might hire him. So That's... you want Patino in your backyard recruiting against you. Mm. And he's in the city right that, now. Aaron, he will take that Georgetown job, I think, in five minutes if St. John's don't offer him the job. He probably would prefer St. John's because he doesn't have to move. He doesn't have to relocate. He just has to go to a different work environment. It, it, if it's Georgetown, though, that's bad news for St. John's because you know this and I know this. They may hire a good coach. Maybe they get Keith Ergo from Fordham who's doing a fabulous job. Maybe they do something else. I, I don't know. They're not getting Rick Pitino. You know what I know it. They're not getting Rick Pitino. Well, that's what I mean, is that he's a Hall of Famer in your city right now. It's not like, oh, he's whatever. He's co-, like, he's in your city. 
he wants to be there, and I am hearing very similar buzz that it may happen. Last quick question. Uh, again, we're recording, what is it today? Thursday the 9th, early. Aaron Rodgers, is he going to be a Jet? I just I just need the intel. What, what's going it's on? Sure. I, listen, I don't know. I don't think the Jets know. I think only Aaron Rodgers knows. So if you could find your way into one of those darkness retreats so you That's can ask, yeah. find your way onto the Aaron Rodgers compound, you might have a better answer than I do. But, yeah, I think so, Aaron. I think he's going to be a Jet because I don't think he's going back to Green Bay. Kind of get the sense they've reached a point of no return. And I think it's time. The Jets need a star quarterback. You take a shot for a year or two, there's no better option. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Jet. Do you do you buy into, like, how do you think he and the New York media will get along? I'll just say this. is um, We had, uh, on one of my radio shows, we had Plaxico Burris on, who does some stuff for Fox Sports Radio. And I, and I asked him, and, and I know, but I asked him, anyway, I was like, how would he do with the New York media? And all Plax said was like, the New York media is everything everybody says it is and more, and he better be ready for it. How do you anticipate that relationship going if it does happen? It'll be frosty. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be frosty. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but it doesn't mean that Aaron Rodgers as a player can't have success. Here's sure. the one thing I'll say about New York. He's not going to live in the city, Aaron Rodgers. I'd be stunned. He's probably going to be in some secluded mansion, very close to Forum Park, go to work, come back, back, go to work. And the one thing I'll say about Aaron Rodgers from a media perspective, he has become such like a national star that national media has started to descend upon the Packers sure. way too often. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I know we live in this world where you can kind of hide and do Zooms and you don't have to have media in your face day in and day out. You can – he's used to that. Like he's, I was going to say, yeah. He's getting plenty of attention. It's not like he – is some small-town star that nobody knows who he is. Like, Aaron Rodgers had cameras in his face now for a while. Um, Listen, I think it's more about his age more than anything else. Like, we're not talking about a quarterback who's 25 anymore. Aaron Rodgers is getting up there. So, you add all of that up, that to me is the question. Can he play at a high level for the next two years? The Jets, they have no choice. Their car was not it. Jimmy Garoppolo is fine. He's not Aaron Rodgers. You want to be super relevant and have at least a hope to get to a Super Bowl next year, Rodgers gives you the best chance to do so, without question. John Dostremski, uh, New York, New York podcast. I know you got to run. College Hoops is starting here as we record. Uh, dude, man, thank you. Uh, and, you know, hey, today, first day of the rest of your life, first day of the rest of the life of Syracuse Yeah, it's going to be man. weird. By the way, good start here for Michigan. Rutgers stinks. They can't score at all. So hopefully go, uh, it's going to be a nice, easy cover for me. We'll see. All right, brother, man. We'll do it again soon. Enjoy, and we'll speak soon. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.